0: Well, welcome to Connecting the Dots
1: with Dan Happel, and tonight we have a very special guest online with us. Uh, The gentleman online with us is a uh, man that I've had on my radio show on the uh, micro effect before, and his name is Tom Ertle, Um, and Tom is a home builder from Tallahassee, Florida, and he is also a Uh, a very accomplished writer. He has uh, written a number of articles for News with Views, and he has a publishing company called the Zurich Publishing Company. And um, we will uh, start into the program tonight with a discussion about what feminism is, and uh, the title of tonight's program is feminism, is it a tool of globalism? And uh, with that, uh, Tom, I'd like you to maybe introduce yourself a little bit, and uh, you can fill in some of the blank spots that I may have been a little bit short on, but uh, you've been very active with the uh, church community for a long time, and uh, I want uh, you to tell our listeners a little bit about some of the projects you've worked on.
0: Yeah, dan thanks for the honor of being on your show again i um i've had just um you know 40 45 year background in in politics served on various christian boards and christian ministries usually dealing with uh in the political realm uh, all the way back in the mid in the mid or really late 80s with freedom council with pat robertson's organization and various other boards and um Started a publishing company, and we're um, a publishing foundation, really, a Christian publishing foundation, dealing with Christian political theory, um, biblical law, how it applies to um, all of areas of life and thought, and um, uh, areas dealing with areas of Christian worldview and how it applies to um, practical application in um, in the culture. So.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, that's, uh, and one of the things that I, we we try to stress on this show is the fact that our our Constitution and our founding fathers, everything that they did with the. Um, uh... with the constitution with the a form of government that was created for us was uh... really centered around christian faith and around uh... as they refer to natural law uh... the fact that all of our rights come from god they don't come from individuals they don't come from uh... governments they come from god and the uh The role of government really is just to protect those rights and to protect those rights under god uh, that was what our our constitution was based on and I know that's something that you feel very strongly on um, i'd like to uh really start this discussion because you and I've already had several discussions about how feminism. And uh, the women's liberation movement uh, has become a new normal in American social culture over the past 50 years, and really the result is the destruction of the American uh, traditional American Christian family. And uh, th- this is really challenging us as a nation. Um, Joseph Stalin identified ways to destroy America, and uh, this is a quote. Uh, America's like a healthy body. Its resistance is threefold. It's patriotism, it's morality, and it's spiritual life. If we can undermine these three areas, America will collapse from within, unquote. Um, so with that, I'd, I'd like to uh, uh, go ahead and get uh, into the discussion for tonight. Uh, one of your uh, articles that you recently wrote uh, for News with Views was an article about how uh, birth rates and the future of uh, Western Christianity was uh, seriously in doubt because of the feminist movement. Um, I'd like to go ahead and open that with uh, how you would like to lead into that discussion.
0: Well, Dan, you um, the article really... Flows well with your last comment about what the new normal is. How feminism, really in reality, is one of been one has been one of the most unbelievably successful social changing movements in world history. You have you know you've got about seven thousand years of world history recorded, give or take, and you have um, the feminist movement redoing how women think of what their role is. What the responsibility is in, is to life and society, and you cha- radically, from the early '60s, have radically changed how women think about themselves. And the issue of you, your your comment on becoming the new normal, what the great fear is, and the the, the headline of my article was birth rates in the future of Western Christianity, is the influence of this new normal of feminism into the church, where mm-hmm. you have young Christian women in the church that are not getting anything from the pulpit they're not getting a biblical worldview on what a woman's role in society is from the Bible from what God has created women to be they're, they're not getting any helps from the church on, on marrying early and raising children which women have done for for centuries on time and it almost doesn't even matter the religion women have always taken this historic role in various religions, of course, we would promote Christianity above them all. But they've taken this role to um, to have to marry early, to have large families, and to um, be the um, basically the foundation for the next generation that was to come of any any civil society. So in the church, which is critical to the future of the country, you have young women who are not getting a biblical worldview and are. So they're going into their 20s and late teens and their 20s with a little bit of Christianity and a lot of, of um, uh, socialism, a lot of feminism, a lot of an alien worldview, and it's affected greatly the, um, the birth rates, which are really down in the United States and especially in Europe and the whole Western world and because feminism has prevailed and has carried the day because the church is not doing enough to give, give the young women an alternative biblical view.
1: Well, and I think uh, that the point of that, too, is that uh, the church has really fallen down in uh, teaching young women uh, that the family is, is really the core of the church, Without a, a strong central uh, family core, the church is dying as well, and we see that in the numbers and in the fact that so few uh, families are regular uh, church attendees anymore, and uh, it just kind of seems like the whole thing is tied together. It, is is that the way you see it, too?
0: Yeah, yeah, very much so. The subtitle of my article was, Where Have All the Grandchildren Gone?, right. and so you don't have you have Christian young women that were the um, bulk work of any kind of biblical Christian society who whose passion from the early days was family life the family and children and we just don't have that anymore we're we're losing it in the church because we've lost it in the world so you got to look at what, what are the what's the origins of this why has this affected the church so much so you have to look at the the whole feminist movement from the last maybe 100 years 150 years so you have the feminist movement we got to talk about it we got to talk why why is this why is this movement so powerful why is it so strong why is it shaped and reshaped how women think of themselves and what their role in society is so you have you know the the, um the general authors of feminism are going to go into three waves you have the first wave and back in the 1800s, late 1800s, and the women's suffrage movement. The second wave is what we really need to talk about, which was the most effective, and that would have been in the early 60s. And then the third wave is, is what we're experiencing after the 60s, maybe in the 90s and, and the turn of the century to what we have now, which was a more radical type of feminism. But when you, when you look at the influence, you have to go and deal with the second wave of feminism, which was the early 60s. So you have it in the United States, you have Betty Friedan, you have three three real main characters in the U.S. and maybe one in France, Three four women, and the three in the United States would be Betty Friedan with her tremendously famous and highly influential book, The Feminine Mystique, I think it was in 1963, and then you have Bella Abzug, the politician from New York, and then you have... Um, Of course, Gloria Steinem, which was, um, many people don't even know this, was a CIA asset. And um, and later, of course, obviously she wrote um, and was the editor and founder of Ms. Magazine, highly, highly, highly influential in the 70s. In France, you have um, Simone de Beauvoir, who wrote the famous book, The Second Sex. And all these women had a particular worldview to change how women viewed themselves to get women out of the house, to get them in the workforce, to compete with men. And they had, with that, they had two things going for them. They had a willing media, and they had the great foundation. So, you know, we, we have a phrase in the conservative movement, um, Dan, is follow the money. And you look and you look at the foundations, and you look in the feminist movement, the Ford Foundation, but especially the Rockefeller Rockefeller Foundation, was extremely influential in, in funding women's programs and women's studies in, in multitude of universities all around the country and key universities, and also other funding, including the CIA funding and helping back Gloria Steinem with Ms. Magazine. And you see um, the um, uh, nefarious forces there of these Globalist type foundations with the purpose of funding these funding feminism to get the women out of the home and have them stop having children like women have done for sixty five hundred seven thousand years so that's the root of it the, the second wave feminism was fabulously successful in their um, in their approach in their strategy and it's it's been very very detrimental to American society and really the whole west and Mm -hmm. if you don't have birth rates you cannot continue with civilization i'm i'm reading through um on a side note reading through will durant's uh, history of civilization his 11 volumes on the subject he talks about the great empires of the past the persian empire and their success was in two realms it was in a um a promotion of a of a strong military and birth rates. Will Durant mentioned birth rates. You can't have a progressing, increasing civilization without women being mothers and um, bearing, you know, um, children.
1: just can't mm-hmm. have it. Mm-hmm. Well, and uh, Tom, one of uh, the, the centerpieces of globalism and of the uh, move for global government is a huge reduction in the population of the world. I'm, if if you follow UN Agenda 21, they're saying a reduction in population uh to fewer than a billion people. Well, we're over 7 billion right now. So that means a 93% reduction in the world's population. And I know that uh you know the the governments have been promoting a reduced birth rate but at the same time the, a lot of these uh, Islamic countries and a lot of the uh, countries who are now immigrating illegally and every other way into our countries uh, including Western Europe and the United States, they have huge birth rates and uh, this is how we are going to use, uh, lose our, our Christian culture, right?
0: Yeah, well, a- absolutely it's interesting when you you talk about the feminist movement and you talk about what you said about birth rates, you're not going to negate birth rates and lower them unless you have a negative view of children. This is critical. Mm and This is where, um, when I talk about the feminist movement, the second wave in the 60s and 70s was unbelievably successful. They changed how women view children. And they changed it historically over time because the 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 view of children from women was always positive. Now they turned it into a negative situation, like children was was going to set them back. And you look at when you look at Betty Friedan, um, you just I've got her book, The Feminine Mystique, and in there in the front of the book there's um, reviews, little short quips on what people think about her book and her work and her her really her life and when you read these little these little um... reviews you really understand how they were able to change the way women think of themselves and what their role in society as i said before was let me read you a couple of them um, mm-hmm. this is michael kazan new, new republic um, no no woman more than betty Friedan. dan um, was able to spur the feminist awakening in the 70s and 60s. One of the rare, this is um, from the community, the spirit of community of uh, the reinvention of American society. One of the rare books we are endowed with only once in decades, a volume that launched a major social movement, Betty Friedan is the liberator of women and men. The Feminine Mystique, this is Arianna Huffington, the Feminine Mystique forever changed the conversation as as well as the way women view themselves in great numbers to celebrate this milestone work, which fundamentally offered, uh, altered the course of women's lives. And then the last one would be Marilyn uh, Yolam of The History of the Breast, and she says Betty Friedan's groundbreaking work and Simone de Beauvoir's Second Sex are the twin pillars on which the entire um, movement was constructed and then you go on to other feminists like robin morgan and uh, mary joe bain and helen sullinger let me read a couple of these quotes i think this will help mm-hmm. the, the listener understand what here's the the key with these quotes is is it, it helped the women today understand what the women in the 60s and 70s had to go through and we all saw the shows, the, um, the nighttime shows, the talk shows, where feminism was embraced, it was promoted on the American media, and day in and day out, this is what women had to, um, had to endure. Let me read some quotes here, I think it would be helpful. Robin mm-hmm. Morgan said, we can't destroy the inequities between men and women until we destroy marriage. And she called marriage a slavery-like practice. Mm -hmm. Mary Joe Bain says this, in order to raise children with equality, we must take them away from the families and raise them communally. Um, Vivian Gornick, being a housewife is an illegitimate profession. Helen Sullinger, we must work to destroy marriage. The end of the institution of marriage is is a necessary condition for the liberation of women. The last one I'll read is... um, the famous or the infamous Gloria Steinem, when she, when she uh, said this, we don't just want to destroy capitalism, we want to tear down the whole effing patriarchy. So here, here you've got
1: mm-hmm.
0: women in those time periods that we, we have witnessed in the 60s and 70s coming under this kind of attack, and the attack was at the woman in the 50s and 60s that was a housewife, that loved her position, Understood her role in society, loved having children, loved having many children, and they wanted them to change how they thought about what their role was. And it was the the barrage of the media was so successful. I mean, it just was uh, it was just a world changing uh, movement in a way.
1: Yeah, abs- absolutely. And I, n- needless to say, we need to mention. Margaret Sanger, because she was really the uh, probably the start of that second wave. Uh, she was certainly after the first wave, but um, Margaret Sanger was uh, one of the real strong proponents of eugenics. And when you look back at who was funding the eugenics movement, uh, you're absolutely right. It was the Rockefeller Brothers Foundation, the Harriman. Foundation, the Carnegie Institute, uh, the uh, Kellogg, um, so there were quite a few of these big uh, funding corporations that were promoting this stuff. Uh, all really all through the last century, and the result is, um, and, and you'll certainly mention this. The result is is that at least in uh, our American culture, without Immigration. Our uh, our birth rate is uh, below the replacement rate. Am I correct?
0: Yes, and and it is. And what's worse than than the United States, of course, is the European countries. Italy. You know, I mean, we we we, we use the word bambino. I use the word bambino in my article, which is an Italian mm-hmm. word for male baby. And that birth rate is below the one the two point one percent, which is what which is the the percentage required to maintain um, uh... the population growth so you um yeah you you have um absolutely drastic situation um in in the former western european countries and it's it's not really much better in the united states you're right it's, sometimes it's it's the legal and illegal immigration has kept the population growing in this country mm-hmm. um you know and i think too what's interesting is that when you when you look at um the leadership for the church which is you know um religion is just is critical we, we have to um when when christian in christian societies um when women understand their biblical position in life um, they're more apt to be family-orientated and are more apt to have children. So you see the situation in, in Russia, and I, I put this is very interesting, in Eastern Europe and in Russia, you see a change of events compared to concerning family, motherhood, and having children compared to the situation in the United States and in Western Europe. If you've got time, let me give you a couple quotes. Mm-hmm. This is... um, um you know, you know, in, in all the things that are going on negative in in the world and society, sometimes we have to mention some of the positive things. And sometimes the left, the socialists, the globalists can almost push their agenda so hard where they get a pushback. So you're seeing the pushback in in Poland and Hungary, some of the Eastern European countries, and in Russia. Let me quote you: This is Viktor Orbán, the Reformed Christian, dedicated Christian in Hungary, Prime Minister, you know, he just won, what was mm-hmm. it, two weeks ago, just won a big election. Right. Uh, two-thirds, I, I think it was Dan, two-thirds of his party um, maintained control over the parliament there in Hungary. So here's his February 19th of this year State of the Union speech. And he's this is, quote, Victor Urban. I believe that families form the unifying backbone of the entire country. I believe that everyone who commits to having children should be given all the support possible, and I believe that mothers must be respected and honored. And then he goes on to talk about how um, if Hungary is to maintain itself, it must become, it must stay Hungarian. In other words, he's rejecting mm-hmm. all the immigration mm-hmm. growth. And then, um, so they're they're realizing they have to push um, – motherhood they have to bring back christianity if their cultures are their their centuries old cultures are to survive let me give you a quote um i don't know if you're any of your listeners have, have watched the uh the somewhat long two long interviews by Megyn kelly recently this year with um vladimir putin president of russia and it what was interesting I, I listened to all of it and it was just fascinating he really um, did a number on Kelly. I mean he it was interesting, Danny. He, he would he would Kelly was just kept harping about Russian collusion in the American election. He put his, his finger to his ear and he said to her, Are you listening to me? You know, she just kept harping and harping, kind mm-hmm. of embarrassing. But anyways, <laughs> here's what he said about um, the situation in Russia today. So she asked him, What do you see as, as some of your greatest accomplishments as president of Russia? So he replied basically with comments about um, and stats about doubling the Russian economy and bringing millions of people out from under the poverty line. But then he said this, and this is Putin. He says, back in early 2000s, our population shrank by nearly a million people a year. Can you imagine the scale of this disaster? Almost 900,000 people. Then he goes on and says, we have reversed this trend. We have achieved a natural population increased, we have low, very low infant mortality, we have reduced maternal mortality to almost zero, we we have prepared and are implementing a large-scale program of supporting mothers and children. Our life expectancy is growing at a high rate. So can you imagine an American politician with that kind of language and a speech? Mm-hmm. So this is uh, Putin's President of Russia's comments about motherhood and about having children go, they're really part and parcel to the Christian renewal that's going on in the old Soviet Union and Russian, the Russian Federation, and we know it today. So you can't have a Christian renewal unless you're going to have Christian children, unless you have a positive view of motherhood. So, you know, there's there are positive things, and I think really I put in the article that the future leadership of the church is probably going to be the way it seems is Eastern Europe and Russia. I mean, mm-hmm. and this is a little mm-hmm. off subject here from what we're talking about, but they're going on in Russia. They're, they're go- And you don't hear this in the anti-Russian, anti-Christian press in America or the Western world, but they're going on a massive government-cooperated church-building program and I put this in the article in Russia and the ideas for the Russian, the Russian government and the people was so that the people would not have to uh, or could not have to drive to church but could walk to church. So you see massive amount of churches in St. Petersburg and Moscow being built and there's a, there's a um, purpose for this because the government along with the Russian um, Orthodox ministers and clergy know that if the people get Christian instruction and go to church and get, come under the influence of the Bible, they are less likely to abort, they're more likely to marry, they're more likely to marry early, and they're more likely to have large families. So mm-hmm. there, is an, there is a mm-hmm. motivation with the building of these churches, and you cannot separate. The more women get away from a biblical worldview and what God has called them to do, the less likely they are to have children. And the the more likely they are to have, you know, two children or fewer or not even really. I think we really got a situation, Dan, where a lot of women are just late 20s and 30s and not even married without any right. hope of marriage. Right,
1: right. No, you're absolutely right. And I, I see that trend. Uh, you know, your comment after the last radio show we did together Uh, I was visiting with my neighbor who has three daughters who are uh, all married and uh, they don't have any grandchildren and uh, the daughters are now uh, in their late 20s, early 30s and only the youngest daughter is having children. And I asked him about that and he said, well, uh, they've been indoctrinated by all the the uh, talk about how family is uh, not as important as career and so they have spent their their whole adult lives getting educated and getting a career and uh they have absolutely no interest in having children and he was quite sad about it uh the youngest daughter is the only one that's having children and she's got uh, they just had their second grandbaby so um, at least one of the girls has got enough sense to uh, uh, realize that the family name will die if they don't have children.
0: Yeah, you know, you're totally right. In fact, that's interesting you brought that up because my the, the theme of the article was a story that I brought out of my friend in Iowa who um, I sent him some stuff of what I just mentioned about how the Russian church and the Eastern European churches are, produ- are promoting uh, uh, motherhood and, and promoting large families and having children. And he was out, similar story to what you're talking about, he was out at a restaurant on a Friday night in Iowa, northwest Iowa, and they were waiting to be seated, and two older women who haven't seen each other in 10 years, and you can pull it up in the article to get it exact, haven't mm-hmm. seen each other in 10 years, and one of them started talking about their two grandchildren. So the one said, well, how many grandchildren do you have? She says, oh, I don't have any. And you know what? I, I don't think we're ever going to get any, any grandchildren out of her two children. So my friend sat down with his wife, and he said this. He said it was mo- one of the most soul-searching, difficult things, saddest things. He really said saddest things we've heard, my wife and I have heard in years, of a woman in a Christian part of northwest Iowa not really ever going to have any grandchildren. So he, he made a comment. He said, um, he really felt like telling the two ladies, um, well, how is the uh, sexual revolution and feminism of the 70s and 60s worked out for you? Mm -hmm. The other thing he thought of saying was, um, I have 22 grandchildren. Can I borrow one uh, to you for over the weekend? (laughs) And I thought Mm -hmm. that was kind of cute, but he he just kept his mouth shut. He was a good conservative, Mm -hmm. didn't say anything, and sat (laughs) down. But it really is a sad situation. You know, bringing your story up, I think one of the most critical paragraphs I put in, in this article was um, femi- it was a subtitle, "Feminism: A Hard Taskmaster." And let me read this one paragraph. and it talks about and I talk about write about women in their 20s, the key um, decade for a young Christian women woman is in her 20s, and what is she going to do with it? Now, let me grab a sip here. The feminist movement is going to say, you're in your 20s, get an education, enjoy college, get a job, get a career, have multiple relationships, um, uh, enjoy your sexual freedom, and, um, uh, you know, get a new car and get a dog. I mean, basically, is what, Mm -hmm. you know, so many of these women do. So I said, this is what I said in the article, quote, the critical decade of a woman is in her 20s. This is the time when great families are created, is now spent on temporal things that fade like all other vanities. The modern woman spends her 20s cheating God's order with personal-driven activities of a job, amusements, multiple relationships, a new car, a dog, and travel, all of which of these things in previous civilized societies were reserved for a time after their family was raised. These are often the best days in a married couple's lives, times of travel, personal pursuits, endless grandchildren events. The woman who buys into feminism in her 20s, feminism in her 20s, will never experience this because she'll not be able to get back that lost critical decade nor control her biological mortality. And that is reality, Dan, Mm -hmm. and it is sad. But, you know, again... I can't I always come back to the pulpit, the Christian ministers. where why are they not talking about this? Why are they not dealing with feminism? Why are not they not giving the women in their church, the teenage women, the biblical alternative to what historic and biblical role that Christ, that women had and the responsibility to carry on the next generation? They're not getting it. So these Christian women, mm-hmm are leaving these churches in their 20s, many of them not even coming back to church after they go through college, and they've got a worldview mix of a little Bible, a little bit of uh, grandma and grandpa and mom and dad's worldview, and a whole lot of feminism mixed and jumbled up together into their modernistic worldview. And a lot of times you see no difference in the church with these young women in their 20s than you do see the women in the world that don't Mm -hmm. have don't have faith, and it is just a sad situation, and it's, it really, uh, you know, I, I can't stress enough, the, the are of the 20s, you know, my mother had um, six kids, I'm the oldest of six, she's, um, she was full Italian, of course, I'm half, and um, all of her children, all, all of, uh, from me, I think she was 23, and the last one was, uh, she had quite a bit of them in a row here, six kids in seven and a half years, is A little, little uh, tough there, I guess. But mm-hmm. <laughs> um, from 23 to basically um, 31 is when uh, our, you know, all my siblings were born. Mm-hmm. And the modern woman is not marrying even in that that period of time, and then her biology catches up with her. So really, I the emphasis in that one little paragraph there was they are cheating God's creative order. You know, you can't overcome your biology, whether you're a man or a woman. And, you know, for a woman, those late teen years and those 20 years was the years where families were born and great mm-hmm. families were born. And, if she, and and it's too bad the modern woman is cheating that. And then so you don't have what um, our parents had and you don't have what our grandparents had where well, they're in their mid-50s. Their 60s, all the kids are gone, right? They're gone out mm-hmm. of the house. You know, they've had four, five, six kids. They're all gone. And they have started homes themselves and families themselves. And they're having a great time. I mean, I, I looked at my mom and parents, my mom and dad, my parents who are deceased, and their best time in their life was when all of us kids were gone. Mm-hmm. And, and they were able to travel and enjoy themselves. And this is just true in any society in any civilization in the past because they had the children when they were younger. So we've got mm-hmm. a disconnect going on.
1: We do. And and uh, one of the things that um, you're relating to is uh, humanism and the fact that under socialism or under communism, they really teach that there is no God and that um they people can do pretty much what they want without repercussions. And one of the uh, things that uh, come out of humanism is, again, that you can have multiple relationships. You can uh, just go out and have a lot of fun. And uh, family is not part of that culture. But, boy, there's sure a lot of these uh, people that are in now their 40s that uh, can no longer have kids. And... I think a lot of them really regret it because uh, they realize that their their life is going to be empty. As as they get to be old, there's not going to be anybody there that gives two hoots about
0: them. Well, and, and you're talking about uh, listen. Here, here's the reality of what you just said there. The, these the, the the women that cheat God in their twenties and go through this feminist routine in their life and have this feminist worldview. You're right. They end up with a uh, a situation where they've got a nice house, cars, career, money to travel, and no children, or a few children. And like the lady in Iowa was testifying, no grandchildren. Mm -hmm. And my mom, you know, I was my siblings, you know, all six of us talk, and and we all kind of concluded that my mother's life was extended. 10, 12 years just for the joy of having children and grandchildren. I, I don't know what the grandchildren count was, probably 17, 18, and then she was able even to see, I think, some, a few of her great-grandchildren. But for a woman to know that she produced, you know, six children, 17 grandchildren, I mean, she can die with a smile on her face mm-hmm. compared to the feminist mm-hmm. who basically has – very few to little, little children. But, but what you're talking about is, here's what we've got to get into this subject. This is really critical. So you've got second wave feminism that started in 63. So what have we got, 57, 55 years of feminism since Betty Friedan's book, The Feminine Mystique. And now, you and I are not experts on this subject. But we are intelligent enough, we can look back in history and anybody can look back and say, okay, how has this alien worldview of feminism, what has this produced? Okay, and, you know, we, we've we talked enough about, you know, the negative birth rates and the consequences of this. But what has this produced in women? Are women happy? You have to ask this question. Are they happy? And all the indication is, is absolutely they're not happy
1: yeah. with the yeah.
0: results. They're dying earlier. They're... Um, Um, with feminism comes a more masculine approach to a woman's life the less feminine a woman is the less attractive she is to men all right call that sexist call it whatever you want but it's a true reality of 7,000 years of human history 7,500 years and um, when she promotes a a feminist agenda in her personal life she she has a less likelihood of being married because she's not really attractive to men and so and, and god has created in women a passion for relationship it's so much more than a man and this is the, this is the great thing of how women in, in christian societies are honored and, and um, um, adored and greatly appreciated because i put in my article women run the relationship business the dating business the um uh marriage business and the baby business this is what they do they are you know we would not have a a continuation of society without him and so you're creating not not you're creating a worldview where women um don't have these relationships at the end of their life and you know al moeller um the the baptist um minister who um runs Southern Seminary in Louisville, had, a, had an article I've got here back to October 23rd of 2009, and he talks about this, the title of the article is Feminism Unfulfilled, Why Are So Many Women Unhappy? <clears throat> and he goes through lengths on how all these reports and all these studies have come out, how what, uh, how, what feminism has cost women, and it's cost them even physically. Where they don't have the longevity, the lifespan that normally women had when they were mothers and, and um, homemakers, and mm-hmm. because they're put in a man world, in a man's world, they're more they're put in a more of a stressful situation, and um, they're in many many times much more conflicting situations personally in their life, in business and all of that, and so the whole women's revolution, as we call it, the whole feminist movement. Has not made after 55 years has not made him any happier. And then there's reports. Here, here, this is interesting, you, you, you know, and we never talked about it here in, in our discussion. But the you can't have the feminist movement where marriage is delayed unless there's a sexual revolution. So with the sexual revolution, revolution we've had you know birth control, free sex, women. Um, um, being the pursuance of sex where they weren't before and in, in other uh, civilized societies, especially in our country and Western world. And so the sexual revolution goes along with with feminism. So with free sex, a woman is allowed basically now practically practically to delay marriage, delay having children, and have um, have her uh, have her sexual fun and her sexual pursuits. So you have, um, and, you know, all this came, came about true, you know, with, with over time with the birth control pill, and we can talk about that at length. But let's think about this thing. With the sexual revolution and birth control, um, there's all kinds of articles about weight gain. I mean, it's just a, maybe it's a minor thing, but it's an issue that uh, um, uh, a reaction to an, a key element of the sexual revolution, which is birth control with abortion, meaning women had abortion because they're anti-children, A children is inconvenient mm-hmm. to their life. So now we have studies out that abortions increase um, cancer risk in women. You have high sexual transmitted diseases in women because of the sexual revolution, HIV risk. And then the, maybe the worst of all, Dan, is with the abortion, the premarital sex, and the birth control. You have a huge increase in the infertility of women in their late 20s and early 30s. Right, right. So, I mean, you, he, so this whole element of what we're just talking about, you sum it up, 55 years of feminism, 58 years. Okay, are women any happier? The answer is absolutely across the board no. And then you look at what are the psychological effects of feminism, and you brought it up end of life no children no children oh you mm-hmm. got cars you got houses you have no children and then of course the other more very practical elements of feminism is the issues of their physical life in the and the uh, negative influences of the sexual revolution has had on them physically so here, here's the deal the bottom line is um, the feminist movement and the feminist worldview and the sales pitch is almost it is extremely difficult for a young woman to resist i mean they're they're coming at you as you can be all that you can be you can be just like a man even though god created him to be a woman
1: <laughs>
0: you right i mean there is mm-hmm. oh yeah left. yeah
1: no I'm, I'm listening because everything you said is absolutely right on the money
0: I mean, there is a difference there, right? I mean,
1: mm-hmm.
0: Now, mm-hmm. Isn't there, but there not there an a in-between gender of, um, gosh, what do they call it, metrosexuals or something where you can't even tell if they're women or men? You know, it's yeah. Just yeah. some of these men that, that are so... Well, feminine.
1: and that's kind of the point, too, uh, Tom, is that uh, men have been feminized and women have been masculinized and... Now we've got this so-called sexual revolution in play, which, uh, y- you know, you can be gay, lesbian, uh, you can be um, transgender, you can be virtually anything, uh, and it's all just fine. Everything is fine except being a Christian, uh, normal, traditional American family. If you're a normal American family, there's something wrong with you.
0: Yeah, but you know, but here, but here's the here's the antidote to that. Here is the biblical Christian contrast to that: is that we don't live by the world's standards. We are we our epistemology. Of course, it's a fancy word for source of knowledge. Of source, our source of knowledge is the Bible. It's the mm-hmm. revealed word of God. And if so, out of that, we reject the whole world philosophy. We reject feminism, we reject socialism, we, we reject political Marxism, all of it, and we look to the Bible, the Word of God for our epistemology, our source of knowledge, our worldview, mm-hmm. and in the realm of family, it's the opposite of feminism. Okay, so if, if I could give any advice... I'm not a minister, but if, if, if there was a minister in the pulpit, and I, I would say give him any advice, is tell the young women in the church to do the very opposite of what they're hearing in the culture, in the media, and in the world. Mm-hmm. And um, so the opposite is um, be feminine, okay? Don't desire to go into a man's world. I mean, I don't have, I mean, there's no issue about a woman educating, being educated having a Oh, job. absolutely
1: not. I, I support all
0: with no. that. I mean, I, I yeah. just—I would rather have a, a, a conversation with an intelligent, educated woman, and she now edu, by educated, Dan, I don't mean necessarily having to go to college. I'm talking mm-hmm. about somebody who's well read.
1: Well read, yeah, yeah, exactly. well read. That's,
0: that's the simple mm-hmm. uh, two-word solution to uh, true education. Mm-hmm. And um, so we're not talking about any of that being negative, but um, the the. So, so we do the opposite, and then so we have a young women, young women that are conservative, the Christian that are looking to marry early. You know, when you have a mindset that you're not interested in marrying till you know late twenties, and you're going to have fun, you're going to get educated, you're going to go through college, you're going to have fun, you're going to have multiple relationships, you're going to travel. Well, you're not with that mindset. You know, you could have five good men that have come across your life that are very marriageable men. But you're not ready because your mind is in a different place. Well, the Christian woman is mind is set on being married like Christian women have for 2,000 years and women of the faith had for many more than that. And so we, we do the opposite of the world. We marry early and then we have a love for babies, love for children. Mm-hmm. And we see that not only we see, well, listen, here two things. We see God's command is to be fruitful and multiply. That is a, soon after creation that was an ordinance early in the book of Genesis is to be fruitful and multiply. This is the requirement of a family, of a husband and wife, and especially the mom. And so we see a command from God there. But it's beyond that, Dan. What it is, it's, it's, a, it's a natural love that women have for children. And that is promoted within the covenant community, within the church. So mm-hmm. our women marry early. And um, I mean, you know, in my family back in the '70s, I mean, I was engaged at 19, married at 20. My two, my sisters, one was married at 20, the other one at 19, and then my the fourth brother, we were really worried about him because he was like 21 and a half. We, went, you know, Jeff, what's going on here? I mean, you know, I mean, you're turning into an old man here, you know. Mm. But that was in a more Christian era.
1: Mm-hmm. And it was
0: nothing to, to, to marry early. So say to the Christian woman, marry early, and then start thinking of having children. And you have them in your 20s, and um, you have a totally different life, a life that is full of fulfillment. And, and, you know, it's a life with a woman with a smile on her face. Mm-hmm. i, I got to read to you something. You you remember, um, before we, we end, I, I want to read um, – Pat Buchanan, who we love. Um, we love him because he ran against the bushes, didn't he?
1: <laughs> there you huh? go. So That's yeah. a whole
0: other episode, I think.
1: Well, and I, I think he's quite a guy anyway. But oh, yes.
0: you love Pat. Um,
1: mm-hmm. But
0: anyways, he wrote the book, uh, when was it? Back in the early 2000s, 2006 or eight, I can't remember, of the death of the West.
1: So yep, he gave you I've a quote,
0: and he talks about um, um, population problems of Rome. And he talked about infanticide, he talked about, or infanticide, I'm sorry, he talked about um, the reduction of Roman population, he talked about the avoidance and the deferment of marriage, and then he quotes Will Durant, and I love Durant, he's such a good writer. He says this, this is Durant, um, perhaps the operation of contraception, abortion, and infanticide, infanticide had, a, um, uh, had a huge effect on the numerical effect of Rome and the Roman Empire. And he says, men married latest albeit the men that married latest bred least and died soonest. Christians were having children, the pagans were not. Abortion, infanticide which were decimating pagan societies, were forbidden to Christians as the equivalents to murder. In many instances Christians reduced exposed infants, baptized them, and brought them up with the aid of the community, of the Christian community. And what he's talking about here is, again, it's in what is in your mind? What is your epistemology? What is your worldview? Not only women, Mm -hmm. but men. So Mm -hmm. in the early church, the Christian worldview was the Word of God, and that was pro-family, not like the feminist movement today that we have that's anti-family and anti-children. So I remember reading other authors, Dan, where they, were, they talked about the Roman Empire and its decline, where the pagans were negative in a view of children, view them as an inconvenience, which is what the modern woman often thinks of children today. They would routinely leave them. They would birth the children, the child, and leave them under the bridges of Rome. And the Christians knew the practice, and, and they left them there because they knew somebody would pick them up and the Christians would take the babies and raise them in their homes with their natural children. So their, um, their growth rate was exponential beyond their ability to, to birth children because they had a love for children. So mm-hmm. we have, mm-hmm. as, as Buchanan built, brings out and as, as Durant so well, he, uh, so well talks about in his, or discusses in his book, is that we had a huge growth. Are in its decline so that mm-hmm. is if there's anything dan for the young christian woman listening today is be a world changer marry early have a love for family have a love for children and make a difference in the world
1: mm-hmm. absolutely and and uh with that tom i have to mention that the humanists believe that uh that Uh, Human beings are not exceptional. They're not created by God. Uh, We are just another animal on earth. And they look at uh, humans as not being exceptional at all. And uh, all I can say is look at the things that the the human race has been able to accomplish because of our intellect and because of all the things that uh, God has given us as gifts that animals do not have. And uh, so obviously, the people that see uh, humans as being nothing other than animals, uh, I, you know, if, if they want to go away, if they want to uh, die early, that's fine with me. But they ought to leave the rest of us alone, because humans are going to be what solves the world's problems, and that's why God said... Be fruitful and multiply, because he knew that our gifts would be what would save the world, not what would destroy it.
0: Yeah, and I, I would say, I mean, you know, when I wrote this article, I mean, I've got, surprisingly, I didn't get a lot of negative feedback like I thought why I would, because we're, you know, here we got a man talking about uh birth rates, you know, and women and having children, <laughs> you know, which is, uh, I wish the woman would have wrote the article, but um anyways... uh But, yeah, we – I didn't write it for women outside the faith. I didn't write it for non-Christian women. It was really written for women in the faith. And Mm -hmm. I'm not interested in influencing them because, you know, they've got their mindset. They've got a worldview. And um, if they don't want to have children, well, so be it. Well, here, the call is to the Christian woman. You want to change the world? Marry early. Have children. Raise them for Christ. Educate them with a Christian education. And we can change the world. I've got to tell you a story. As long as you bring this up, I was involved with Christian political organizations. And I was sharing with some of the guys on a board. Of, I, I said, you want to you transform society? You want to fundamentally transform America? We can do it in the church. And all you've got to do is two things, basically two things. You, and this is, I'm going to put the first two together, like I've, I've repeated many times on this broadcast you you have you marry early and you have a lot of children, a lot of Christian children now I put in the article I know somebody's going to be on my case about this is um the minimal family you got to look at and i this was really in the early sixties and late fifties in America was four kids and um it was un, not uncommon to have um uh seven eight nine kids in a family mm-hmm. okay and it's no big deal and um I mean, it's it's a sacrifice. Obviously, it's an effort. It's it's. Um, I shouldn't say no big deal. It is a big deal. It, it, it no, takes, it's a big
1: deal. It's a lot it, of work. But usually, the, the older kids have helped take care of the younger kids. It it also made uh, the uh, siblings uh, better friends.
0: Oh yeah, and you know, and you know, the interesting thing when your last comment there reminded me is the the best upbringing is when the children are in want other words the opposite of indulging children you know I, mm-hmm. I i'm amazed you go down these high schools in the in you know in the, in the better side of town the cars in the parking lot i just can't believe it oh yeah i mean range yeah. rovers i mean so, mm-hmm. you
1: know, mm-hmm. my my first
0: 1962 oldsmobile or 64 no, 64 64 oldsmobile 88 cost me 240 dollars and you know i was so glad to get it my brother and i talk about um I said, Jeff, did we ever buy insurance on those cars? And I, I, I <laughs> said, I don't know. We didn't know anybody in the insurance business. We didn't know where to get it. You know, and it, so it, it was just – but what happened when we have a large family and there's not a lot of money going around, it was a, such a blessing to us because it threw us into the adult world quicker.
1: Mm-hmm. And people
0: – this is really – this is great that you brought this up because because so many people look at it, well, I, I want to raise – my children right. So I don't want to have too many of them where I don't have enough money to really do a real good job on them. But what they don't realize is that when the children lack, because there's a lot of kids in the home, maybe there's six, seven kids, um, it puts them in the adult world and they mature quicker. Right. I mean, we were ready to get married at 19. I mean, we were yeah. done with the, mm-hmm. the frivolousness of high school and all that. We were on with our lives. Because the day we got out of high school, man, we were moving. And because mm-hmm. we already are in the working world, I mean, because we knew there was no money for us to, um, you know, to go out to a, a little restaurant, buy a hamburger, to have a car, or anything like that. So
1: Not unless so, you earned it yourself.
0: Yeah. Remember that Remember that kind of uh, upbringing?
1: Oh, and, boy, I started at eight. Yeah, I, I know exactly uh, that upbringing.
0: <laughs> we all had paper routes. We were doing all mm-hmm. kinds of things just to get a buck in the house. We, and, and those were such good days because... We talk about in my family, we didn't even bother asking mom and dad for money because right. they were, you know, six kids, they were struggling. And, my, you know, the dad's business and everybody had, you know, the dads with two jobs. So we knew we just had to go out and get it ourselves. And with that brought a maturity. So young people, you think that when you're going to get married, you're going to only have maybe two kids because you really want to take care of them right and give them proper vacations. Let me tell you, the opposite is true.
1: They're Absolutely. better
0: off with less yeah. to drive them into the adult world, and to and it, you'll end up with mature kids that will love you even more when you give them less.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So, how do we get off on that one, Dan? Where, where we well, no,
1: and it, it's important that people realize that. But we we are pretty close to being out of time, Tom. But what I want to talk about now, very quickly, I want to. Uh, approach to the church because you're exactly right one of the problems we have is that our ministers and our churches because of their 501 C 3 tax exemption are so afraid to tackle any issue that they feel might be politically incorrect that is what's wrong with our churches today um, we need to be able to tackle the real issues and what is destroying our Christian culture. And what you just talked about for the last hour is exactly what is destroying our Christian culture. So why don't they talk about it, and what can we do to make them talk about
0: it? Well, that, that, you're really catching at the heart of the issue within the church here, and that is the Protestant pulpit. I had, a, uh, I think, one of my... Um, Trying to look for it here. One of the subtitles of my article on the um, birth rates in the future Western Christianity with News with Views was the Protestant pulpit asleep, or the Protestant pastorate asleep in the pulpit. And I think the pastors, they don't touch on, they don't expose the government school systems. They don't talk about Christian education and getting the kids out of these horrible government schools. And they don't talk to the women about what their role is in the church and society. They don't talk about having children because they're more afraid of the congregation losing their job and pension than they are of God. And I hate to mm-hmm. I hate to bring it up to that point. And I put um, I had in the article um, a little section here called the Bambino strategy, and I talked about for the churches um, we need to start rethinking um, um, some of the ministries that are out of the ch- that come out of the church. I said I, I said in here. For some of the big churches, it's kind of humorous: is to kill the um, music minister position—that's sixty, seventy a thousand-dollar-year position—and start having um, um, women's um, aid ministries in the churches. Um, you know, rooms. You know, to, to have the, the music minister's office needs to be turned into a infant baby's clothing office, where the women can trade clothing and bring it to give it to other women and uh they need to start being proactive in the churches on encouraging the young women to have to to, to marry and to have children and they they just really don't touch the subject. Let me mm-hmm. let me just do we got a second?
1: We we're uh, we're close to the end but go ahead. Let, let's let's okay. uh, let's finish my, your thought.
0: Here's my 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 last closing argument here which is my last paragraph in that article and here it is. Young, it's, my, it's my call to young Christian women. Young Christian woman, unto you is given a great gift that is unique to your gender, the ability to bring children into this world. It is a gift that comes with a high and honorable calling to be guardians of society and keepers of civilization. Will you take this call like countless generations of women who have come before you or will you draw back and embrace a life the world offers you free from self-denial and sacrifice, with promises of personal fulfillment, convenience, and comfort. And that's it, Dan. Dan, that's mm-hmm. where we're down to. Which which that's route we're are we going to go?
1: Well, I, I'll tell you what, Tom. Um, th- this discussion is far too big for a one-hour program. So I hope you will uh, entertain the uh, the idea of coming back. Uh, I'll, I'll I'll invite you back again. Uh, very soon, because this is a really, really important subject, and we didn 't even get into how uh, other cultures like Islam are literally yeah. dismantling the Christian church and destroying it because of our own lack of christian teachings and and so uh let let's uh, I would hope you would uh, be willing to come back at some point in the not-too-distant future, and maybe we can pick up on some of those ideas as well.
0: Yeah, let, you know what I love? Let's just do a little um, uh, free discussion on growing up without money and without Range Rovers as teenagers. How did we make it? How did
1: we <laughs> yeah. make it? Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, if if you uh, look at the most successful people, uh, and I I really take a certain amount of pride in this, you do too, uh, we were successful because we did deal with issues. We learned how to take care of ourselves. We learned how to make money when we were young. And, and, and as a result, uh, you know, we're we're the ones that the kids now uh, look at and say, well, you know, how did you manage to do that? Well, we did it because that was the culture at the time.
0: Yeah, all without a psychiatrist. How did we do it?
1: Yeah. Oh, yeah exactly. Without a psychiatrist and without uh uh government programs to pay our way
0: yes yes
1: yeah amen well uh with that tom i uh i thank you for being our guest on the show. i do want uh very quickly mention your publishing company and a book that uh you are publishing right now, I got a copy of, which is uh fantastic uh uh, uh, book about the Reformation of the Church. And it's called A New Day of Small Beginnings. And uh, would you like to uh, tell our listeners how they can get in touch with your publishing company and how they can get that book?
0: Yeah, Dan, thanks for mentioning it. It's ZurichPublishing.org. It's, it's a ministry. It's a foundation I've had for probably about 15 years. We've been working on this one project, French theologian Pierre Curtiol, leading theologian in the last century uh, in France. And he wrote a book, A New Day of Small Beginnings, and he talks about a reformation of the church, a renewal of the church, and using, reviving again the law of God, in that a law of God that applies to all areas of life and thought. And he leaves the book with a great hope to the believer of a new Christendom that could come. Mm-hmm. And um, with, uh, with Christians that would take the word of God courageously, into the world and into the culture. So they can you can get it on Amazon or you can just um, pull up zerkpublishing.org and order it and uh, be glad to um, send it to you.
1: Well, and I highly recommend it. I got a copy, and um, I'm uh, about halfway through it right now, and it is really, really an excellent, uh, excellent book. So, um, Tom, thank you again for being our guest, and uh, I look forward to for the next time that uh, we get a chance to get together with you and have you on Connecting the Dots. And Dan, any time. That,
0: Always enjoy it.
1: Well, I'll tell you, we have a lot of fun. I, I uh, really enjoy having you as a guest, and uh, uh, thank you again. And with that, uh, I turn the program back over to you, Kelby, and thank you and good night.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, that concludes this week's show with Connecting the Dots with Dan Apple. God bless. Good night. We'll see you next Thursday, 6 p.m. Pacific.